You're listening to Build Up One Another, the podcast where we unpack the stories behind our key relationships with one another and how these impact where we go and who we become. I'm your host, Karen Temple. Today, our guest is a dynamic and accomplished woman. Her beginnings are somewhat magical, with her father coming from Cape Verde off the coast of the, of the Atlantic Ocean and her mom from Madagascar, closer to the Indian Ocean, and she grew up in an idyllic island called Réunion. She moved to mainland France to become the first person in her family to earn a master's degree from a top business school in France. From there, she charted the first chapter of her career in corporate finance, where she closed challenging transactions that enabled her client businesses to hit their commercial targets. Standing out from the crowd, she was chosen for a two-year leadership track, leading large commercial asset transactions and implementing external funding solutions, totaling over 2 billion euros in only nine months. She is a firm believer that if you put your heart and soul to, into something, no matter what it may be, you will get it. And with that, she is now shifting gears, launching The Kick-Ass Sisterhood, a podcast that brings together successful Black women to share their journeys so that others may benefit. Tanya, welcome to Build Up One Another. I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me. This is so exciting. Thank you for the little intro as well. <laughs> <That's> nice. <laughs> Excellent. So you grew up in Réunion, uh, yes. this beautiful island. I saw some photos of it, and it's, it's just gorgeous, off the coast of Madagascar. And you left that wonderful setting to begin your life in France, um, and now England. Now you're in yes. London. And uh, when I think of... Canada. The weather here is cold. We get minus 30. We get blizzards, sleet, snow, ice. Most <laughs> of us are trying to go in the other direction, right? That's right. So I'm just wondering, how old were you when you made that move? Was that, was that you making that move as, as, as an adult or as a child? And what were your first impressions going from the island to all of a sudden Western Europe? Yes, I mean, honestly, it was such a big shift, such a big uh, shock to the system. How old but were you? I was um, 18, actually. Oh, well, okay. no, I was 20. I was 20. And basically, the way it all happened, it was through my studies, because Réunion is quite, it's quite small. There's about a million inhabitants on the island. It's very developed, right? I know we had this discussion when I said, for the US, it's like Hawaii, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same to France and um, when you want to push your studies to well the best basically you have to leave the island you can go there to the university but then at some point you just need if you want to kind of have a real um, just the best academic uh, background you have to go so that's kind of where I was and I spent two years after my A-level looking at preparing for exams to those business schools and then when was time was right, I had to go and do the oral in France with uh, my luggage and tour around. And finally, I got accepted to uh, a school in Rouen, which is Normandie. So Normandie okay. it has to be the coldest part of France. And if it's not, it's not far from there anyway. It's very similar to the weather in London, uh, to the UK. And 
I just remember feeling just miserable. I was just thinking, what have I done? And it was, um, it was funny because it was at a time where I didn't know how to dress. You know, I'd never bought tights in my life. I didn't know what was a warm coat, you know? <laughs> Everything was mismatched. And you go into those schools where everybody's, they've been there forever, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody's super stylish and I'm not. And mm -hmm. but, so, yeah, it was definitely a shock, both at the weather, but also the way I guess people interact, the way people are together. It's a different lifestyle over there. Totally different. So go into that a little bit more. I'm curious. Yeah. How do, how do people do community in Réunion versus when you, what you experienced when you first landed in Normandy? Yes. So, I mean, Réunion, it's a multicultural place. Okay. And I'm not trying to sell a dream, but it is, I think it's not far from it because people, because of where the island is located in the middle of the Indian Ocean, people come from Madagascar, they come from Africa, they come from Asia, they come from all over the world. And there's such a big melting pot. So when you're there, nobody will question your identity. You're from there. Mm -hmm. Although I was not even born on the island, right? And actually my origins, like you said, they're from Madagascar and Cape Verde, but no one ever questioned it. Then you move to France mainland, well, it's, it's a lot more codified, you know. Uh, in the, into the business school, there was not many people like me. Mm. Not so many diverse people or black women, right? Mm -hmm. Or black men. So that thing, that was a real shock. And there's more pockets of people. So you had in one go, let's say people from Paris and they dress and they act in a certain way. Or they have people from the South. That was the way I was thinking at the time. And I guess, yes, when I hear myself, it is a stereotype. But when you move and you, let, you leave your family behind and you go for that big jump, you, do, you see all those pockets. You understand and you can, you can definitely go from one to the other and connect with everybody, but it's tr more rigid mm -hmm. as opposed to the island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So on the island, um, you didn't feel like there were pockets of different groups. It was just, you're all here, you're all part of Réunion, and you're all, you know, you see different people and different professions doing different things. It's just a, a big mix. It is a big mix, yes. And, you know, there's still, there's still some... Um, I think there's still some racism on the island and I know that people will not hear me saying it. It exists, right? But as a whole, people just feel like they belong there. They come from the island. They, everybody has the right to be here and have their lives. Nobody's going to question that for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is very beautiful there. Um, anyone can arrive and they wouldn't be say, asked, oh, so where are you from? And I do think that France mainland is different to that aspect, right? Because of its history and people are just, they're also curious to understand, oh, you look a little bit different. So where, what's your background exactly? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Which is a question you would have less, I guess, in Rainier Island. Um, so, yeah. And so you, you're there, you're figuring out what kind of coats you need um you're you're entering into the business school you're seeing all these pockets so walk me through from the time you you first arrived and you started your business school to where you're ending your business school what did 
what did life feel like and, and, and look like by the time you finished business school? So the, the great thing about the school and being with those people, you're with ambition people, right? Ambitious. Everybody's ambitious. They have a drive. It being, I don't know, doing some accountancy, some finance, some marketing, but everybody wants to get somewhere. So, and that's what I think was the biggest learning, right? You opened the door. And through that, that journey for me was me understanding that I could do a lot of different things, that I could do finance, I could do marketing, I could go out there, talk to a lot of people, network. It just opened up a world that I didn't know about before. The world of the, the business, but also the world of trying to find, understand yourself a bit more and just grow, right? And I think that's the... That was the journey. And then after the school, so during the school, you know, I traveled, I did a lot of travel to kind of, because obviously I had the opportunity to write, Ryanair was already here. So it was a lot of discovering the world, which I've been traveling before more in the Indian Ocean. This time it was more European. So that was amazing. And, um, and also connecting to people um, through the, the various studies, learning from them. And eventually I just decided that I wanted to, um, to do my master's in finance and management and in management of, it was funny, it was called leading in an uncertain world. And it was really, um, it was great because it was about um, understanding that you can't control everything. And I think that's just been the theme in my entire life, trying to understand that I can't control everything. And that master's was great. They threw, uh, they threw us uh, in the middle of the, ca- the countryside and uh, they told us, you guys need to find your way um, from point A to point B. We'll give you very minimum um, um, guidelines and go for it. And we had to understand to work with each other. We had to think about how we're gonna achieve and how we're gonna deal with so little information. Um, so I really enjoyed that time actually at the school. It was brilliant. Yeah. It's interesting. Talk to me about that experience when you were put in the middle of nowhere and you were in a team given very minimal information. Talk to me about the dynamics between the people as you began to sort things out and get to some place that you knew where you were. Yes. I think the clear thing is everybody wants to be the leader, right? You come into this business school, everyone wants to say, okay, let's go this way or let's go this other way, right? Well, the sad truth is nobody is, uh, not everyone is, right? Um, and I think that was the first struggle. We just thought, okay, we wanted people to listen to ourselves, right? <laughs> listen to me, I got it right. Um, and well, we made a lot of mistakes, we got lost. Um, and it was just about, okay, we need to, choose one or two leaders not all of us can be we need to chip in okay we need to um contribute to the ideas and voice our opinions but then the decision has to be taken by one right i don't want to say by one or maybe two but at least by a limited number of people and that was the big learning of it that and also that it was raining and don't leave your trainers outside the tents that was also a good learning <laughs> <laughs> very interesting very interesting um 
so if you, you got your, you got your um, business degree, your master's yeah. um, in business and tell me, where did you go after that? You went into corporate finance, right? I did, yes. So through the school, I did already, I had done internship work within my company. Uh, it's an American conglomerate. And I then decided to apply for the leadership program, which is a two-year program where you rotate businesses and you go through a lot of training in, term, in corporate finance, a lot of leadership training as well. Um, so I, I joined that and it was an amazing experience. I just got to meet people from all over the world, travel around, um, work on exciting projects with exciting people. Mm -hmm. I was mostly based in France, to my regret, actually. I wanted to have the opportunity to travel a bit more, but because I was in the financial services um, area, the needs and the fact that I'm French uh, meant that I had to stay quite a bit in Paris, um, which was um, an experience in itself. <laughs> Paris is uh, is uh, special, and then I also had I moved here in London uh, for one of my assignments, and I, I just loved it. And that's why after that, I decided it was time to move completely, leave France, mainland, and move to London. To London. When I reflect back on your story, you're yeah. coming in to Normandy. Um, you're you're adjusting you're you're seeing you're seeing the dynamics of french society as as an outsider initially and it gives an interesting perspective because you probably are seeing things that are so obvious to you that the local population doesn't even know because they've been living in it for so long i'm wondering as you go through business school and now you're in corporate finance and you talked about that journey of of navigating and feeling comfortable um, going from leaving home to finding home. Um, can we go a little bit deeper into that experience and, and more at a practical level, how you, how you formed your relationships there and how you began to find home away from home? And, and, felt, and maybe you haven't felt found home away from home. I don't know. Now I have found home away from home. That's good. Uh, but the journey was to it was was quite uh, difficult. Um, I mean, you said it right. When I moved first to Normandy, the cold. I know. Uh, I don't know if you speak in Celsius, but you just have to understand the dramatic shift of <laughs> temperature, and that impacts your mood. That impacts everything, and you start thinking that you don't necessarily belong. This is not the right place to be, right? Um, and it was difficult at the beginning, but then, um, the nice thing through the school, there was so much going on in terms of activities. Uh, and we were three girls coming from Reunion. So that was already a very close bond that we had there. So we kind of supported each other. Right. Um, because when you arrive at the school, you arrive in September all the way towards winter. So that's a big shock. And there was, so I launched my... I, I joined a group. I love dancing in general. So I joined this group of, um, with two uh, of my best friends. Actually, now they're my best friends. At the time, we didn't know each other. Uh, two other girls and one guy to launch a, um, a competition, a dance competition uh, for different business schools, right? And it was the first of its kind, and we decided to do that. So what I'm, what I'm meaning is 
through those activities and trying to be one of the bureau at the school and um, and this competition, I created strong bonds. Those people um, then that are still part of my life and still one of some of my best friends helped me to th through those swings of moods and of thinking, oh my God, maybe I should just go back to Reunion. Maybe this isn't just right for me. That really helped me on one side. But then the second thing is my mom. I think my mother, she was always, she showed us that we always had to power through. You know, there was no excuses, no time for uh, this kind of thing. You know, you're feeling sick, uh, homesick. Okay, well, go back, to, go to bed maybe tonight, but tomorrow you'll be, be another day and you can power through it. So that's really how I, I, I saw it. And I didn't even go back much to Reunion Island over those five years. I, I went back twice. Mm -hmm. So you learn to be away from your family, which is very difficult in difficult times, mm -hmm. right? because that's where you need them the most. And you also learn to be away from home and try to surround yourself with the people that you can create a, a small community. At the time, you know, I didn't have like a million friends, but I knew I could rely on those girls, right? Tell me a little bit about the others, the flip side to that. You have your supportive group, which we all need and it's brilliant. And those are the friends that are in the ring with us when times get tough. At the same time, you're having to chart your own career and figure out who you are in your career. Talk about the relationships that were difficult. Um, the, the relationship that were difficult. I mean, I think the, the, the relationship, the, the most difficult relationship that I have is, is the relationship with myself. <laughs> <to be frank. laughs> um, this is the hardest uh, because I'm, your, I'm my own uh, dream and my own nightmare at the same time. So I think I that's think, true for, for most people. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say most women. I'm going to say most people. I think, I think so. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, you... That's why you go, you go through those times and you're thinking about the future and you doubt yourself. It's all you. I don't necessarily think about what were the difficult relationships. I don't think, you know, I'm, and I guess it's because I'm also very protective of myself, mm -hmm. to, be, to be honest. I think it's, that's why I don't, I avoid having those difficult relationships. I try to not have them. And if there's something along the way that comes, I, I'll keep it away. I'll, I'll do my best to keep it away from me because I already have to deal with my own self, which is already quite hard. I don't need other people to make it harder for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, belonging, um, yeah. being able to be in an environment where you, where you feel like you belong. And in some um, corporate environments, we're put in teams. We can't always choose who we're working with. Talking about, talk to me, um, if you will, share about your experience belonging in a corporate environment and how that felt. Yes. For example, the imposter syndrome. So I sort of want to go into that a little. Yes. I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, the company that I work for, um, so used to be one of the biggest company in the world, but still there wasn't much, I guess, diversity, right? It's a company that still emphasized a lot on its will to improve that diversity and women 
um, you know, having more women there. But the reality, it's not really the case yet. We're not there yet. So it's true um, when I was at both, probably less so in Paris and more so when I worked in London, uh, I would walk in meetings and there would be only, I would be the only person like me, right? And when I say like me, it's, it's, I know it's visual, right? No one, no black woman at the table. When I look at the people, um, the most senior people, the senior leaders of the company, there's no, also very little representation. So sometimes when, you know, you start and you never get things right when you start, right? <laughs> you get things, you, get, you, just, you just get it wrong. You just always, you know, by the repetition of trying more that you're going to get it right. But at the beginning, you kind of fail. You know, it's just automatic. And you can help but like wonder, well, is it because I don't belong here? Is it because I'm not good enough? Is it that's why there's no one else that um, looks like me over here? And it's something that I am quite conscious of. Um, and probably my husband thinks a little bit too much, but I like being in a place that's diverse. I like thinking I'm not the exception where I am. That gives me the confidence to believe in myself if I get and to make mistakes. So I think it's, um, that's how I felt there. And, um, and again, I, I joined a women's network and made sure that there was a lot going on on that side that we could connect and be together. So that's kind of how it felt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's true. When you, when you see leaders who um, are representative of all the diversity that exists in the world, then you not only do you can you look at them as possible mentors, but you're able to say, okay, there is a path. There's some there is a path that's charted. And and as we grow and become more confident in ourselves, we know that that's that is a possibility. When that doesn't exist and and you're around that table and you're in that leadership program, did you have an opportunity to work with mentors who didn't look like you? And was that helpful or did that relationship just not jive because there was maybe a, a lack of understanding of each other's worlds? It actually worked. It actually worked having those mentors because I think my case is I do come from this multicultural background and I've been exposed to, you know, different type of cultures now. And having those mentors, I just value their input. The fact that they didn't look like me has never been an issue. But what I believe is, you know, I take their advice at theirs, but I think about other people. And I think about the times where it is a little bit difficult. Then you do want to relate to somebody that understands you, but at a deeper level, not only... I'm going to give you this career advice. No, but I'm going to understand where you're from. I'm going to understand who you are. And then I'm going to give you this advice. I don't think I've had met that person ever. Mm -hmm. I've been given advice from people, mentors, and I've always valued them. But having that deeper connection, I don't think I've had it, no. Right. 
when we when we're in a work environment, it's a formal mentoring system. It sort of stays at a certain sur- at a surface level in terms of what the work requires, mm-hmm. and and there is a relationship there. But we're not necessarily going to that deeper level. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to find somebody to share the conversations in my own head, right, which is opening up and being more vulnerable, that requires another level of trust. Yes. Right. Yeah. So. Were there people in your corporate world where you saw somebody and you thought, hmm, that looks like somebody I'd like to build a connection with, somebody say at a higher level, um, power authority, whatever you want to call it, and, 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 but, you, but you were reluctant to reach out to them um, for some reason? Did you, or did you reach out to them? Um, or because of your perspective as a black woman in a, in a corporate environment where you're not seeing people like yourself what did that look like and feel like or maybe it didn't happen it didn't happen Karen okay it didn't happen because I I couldn't find people that uh were like me and I couldn't I couldn't think that I could necessarily relate Mm. to those people so I haven't had it but now I think there's a bit of a flip side to that. Now that I'm building this podcast, mm-hmm. which is trying to address that issue, it's trying to shine a light on those women that effectively have achieved success or not, but professional women that are out there and you know killing it. And I feel like now I'm meeting more people that I feel inspired about because I'm looking for them. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. Whereas before, if they were not there, or they were not there, and I was not, you know, looking. So, yeah. It's amazing, right? Because so, so in that environment, there weren't people. But in our society, I think there are so many people who are crushing it from so many different backgrounds. And I think that it's just incredible. So let's move on to that. Who are some of um, your... Uh, when you look out into the world and you see black professional women, who are some of the ones that you think, wow, she's awesome. She's doing great. I, I, yeah. Like you're, the rock stars you want to have on your podcast, who are those women? <laughs> I mean, the number one is definitely Oprah Winfrey, but um, uh, let's, yes. not let's not dream. Oh, no, we should dream. Um, but lately I, I met this woman. She, her name is Charlotte Mensa. She's a hairdresser. Uh, here in London, and she's a Afro, Afro hairdresser. She gave this talk, um, and it was so, so interesting. She, she shared her background, you know, her difficult background, and how she pushed through to have her own salon. And now she has literally uh, princesses, prince um, sons or daughters of, you know, important people and regular people too that come in to see her because she's managed to create that amazing atmosphere where people feel that they can be having a great time and people are going to be listened to as well. So that woman, I thought was really inspirational. Uh, definitely. Yeah. She was great. And, and so when I think of um, black professional women, like some of the rock stars in my world, Oprah Winfrey, for sure. I mean, yeah unbelievable the the roads that she 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 um blazed right yes. in her career i also think uh, michelle obama is just Absolutely. incredible and uh i can't uh 
not mention Maya Angelou. Like, yes. just she, she, uh, when she speaks, she rings truth and love. And every time I just get these lightning bolts go through my mind and my heart. And I just, I thank God for her. Uh, what a, what an incredible woman. Yeah, I read her book uh, a while ago and I remember it stayed with me. I can't remember the title, but it was just so powerful and she was just so, so honest and I, I, I loved it. I need to go back and, and look at it because it really, um, I really enjoyed her. Yeah. You, you mentioned when we were chatting earlier about um, myths. So I want to talk about, I want to shift a little bit and talk about myths and fairy tales. All right. Uh, so one of the myths that you brought up was this notion of a, a strong black woman. Yes. Tell me, tell, tell me about that from your perspective. Yes, I mean, it comes from the place where, and it's important to tell the story. My mom's a single mom. She had me, she was 16. I lost my dad, I was seven. So, and we come from a pretty poor um, background. So that's just the, the ground set up, right? Okay. So from there, there's only upwards. You can only go ahead and just power through. And that's, that's what I've, I've grown, you know, that's the setup that I've, uh, I grew up in, effectively. And where, when times were hard, when we're, just, when we're little, we didn't have money and everything. My mom always told me, you know, there's going to be better days. You have to believe, you have to fight. It was always of a fight though. And I think later in life, I think I've understood that it doesn't always have to be a fight. And I think that's something that I've understood later. But at the time, it was it. You have to go and stand up for yourself and you make it happen. And I did, right? And the, my, my career so far and my, st my study show it. My school was 24,000 euros, right? I took a state loan. And there's very little people that do that because often they're not aware. And that's another problem. But if you believe in yourself, if you push through, you knock at all the doors and you don't let, you know, you don't take a no for an answer, you will find the yes. And there was this bank that took a no guarantor and gave me that loan. Right. So, and, and that, that's kind of the mindset that I grew up in. Really. Yeah. I strong people are I, I kind of look at them as the fortresses right they're the people who are shoring us up right mm -hmm. because as we grow up and we're trying to figure out who we are and what are we supposed to do in life those are the people who that mother every time you knocked on that door it was your mother you had your mother in you but she poured into you so that you would keep knocking and um and I, when I also think of strong black women, I also, um, I think of, oh, so many, um, just the mothers who are pouring into the kids so that they grow up and that they don't give up and they know that they have to, to fight in general. When I compare that, um, no, you called it a myth. Why do you call it a myth? Yes. The, well, so this was my take on being a strong woman and why that came all about but I feel like there is a myth about it. And we, we often talk about it amongst uh, some people because often there's this myth that you stand up in a room as a black 
woman and you, you have to be strong. You have to be, you have to, you have to be very confident. You have to believe in yourself. You have to show no sign of weakness. Weakness doesn't exist. And it is a myth because actually we all go through times where we're vulnerable, where we're sad, when we feel anxious. And that myth is such a huge weight on our shoulders because it doesn't help you embrace the vulnerability, the times that are difficult. And therefore, you might struggle for even longer because you feel like you, you need to stay strong, you need to stay powerful, you need to kind of control everything. And that's where the myth comes from. And one of the things that I, I wish is that we as black women were more open to feel that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to tell your friends that you're vulnerable, right? Not only at home or in your bed at night. It's mm -hmm. okay to share it. And I think we should all share it amongst ourselves because we can only benefit from it. We can only help each other from it. Right. And the full human experience. It is. And my personal experience through that has been that when I've been very vulnerable in my life, I've experienced that the, the weight of that myth. I couldn't accept that I was not, that I was, that I was weak. I couldn't accept not being strong. And the toughest part to the recovery to be getting better was to let go, mm. to say, okay, I am feeling vulnerable. And it makes sense because of X or Y. Mm -hmm. And share it with people around you. Mm -hmm. And that's quite hard as well. Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability. I don't know if you know her work. And she says that, um, like so many things in life, there's a two-sided coin. The other side to vulnerability is courage. Right. Right? Absolutely. And when we're able to open ourselves out, and we're able to let out those emotions and open ourselves up at those moments when we can be weak, when we're around trusted people, we can actually receive a huge amount of strength and, and also from them. Right. And also be able to restore and repair our souls. Yes. And I think the, the word weak actually should not even be um, applied, right? I agree. It's a long term, right? Because if you're weak, then you can't be strong. That's how it, how it goes, right? Yeah. So, and it's, and I've, I've tried to not consider those times as a time where I'm being weak. It's a time where I'm just being vulnerable, just, you know, a bit more sensitive and I need to address it. Um, so... Yeah, I, I just generally think that we should, this, this myth is so spread out also because people often come from backgrounds that are a bit difficult, right? Absolutely. So they need to always have that armor and go to fight. And Yeah, yeah I, I think vulnerability is strength. I think being able to be confident and brave enough to open ourselves up to those who've earned the trust um, is a sign of strength. And I think it's through those moments that we actually become stronger from the inside out. Otherwise we can put on armor and we can appear strong, but sometimes it's brittle. Exactly. That's right. 
when I think of other fairy tales, so in my world, um, I grew up with Cinderella, <laughs> not right. the best role model, <laughs> um, right? Where she's waiting for someone to come and save her. And, and when I think across a number of the myths and fairy tales that we've been told ourselves as women, as we've been told, I often wonder whether this is something that the external world is, is feeding us it's um, selling to us. And I remember a realization at one point where I said, well, wait a second, if they're trying to sell this to me, if I'm being sold this, it's my choice to buy, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and at some point we can choose with these myths and fairy tales. Am I going to buy that version or am I going to, am I gonna take whatever is good out of that or if I'm maybe gonna reject the whole darn thing and say, no, this is my worldview and this is how I'm going to reframe it. When you describe the myth of strong black woman, I don't think that it should be labeled as a myth. This is just a suggestion, right? This is just mm -hmm. my thought. Um, but strong black women are strong, are vulnerable, are beautiful. You know, everything that you are, reframe strong black women to mean all that it is to you as 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 you enter into this journey. Um, I just wanted to share that with you. Um, what are your thoughts on fairy tales, other fairy tales as it relates to women? Have you thought about that? Um, for me, I think about when you say fairy tales, straight away it made me think into traditions. For me, that's what that's what they are really. It's like those those um, the social dreams or social traditions that sometimes are good and sometimes they're bad. So, and I, I feel like I've, I've grown up away from a lot of those traditions and always felt like, okay, you can do, I always had this vision. You can do whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. Now, it's true and it's not true, because then you also need to respect other people's uh, traditions. But when it comes to the myth, um, to the fairy tales for women, well, I definitely think, especially the Cinderella and all these Disney ones, they're probably the worst things you can have. Uh, but things have changed and things have evolved. And that's what I like. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't necessarily criticize and go back to the times. Uh, my grandmothers or, or else. I just think about how can we just move forward past this? Because clearly it's wrong. And to this point, you know, the, the Moana of the world are trying to uh, save <laughs> against those Cinder <laughs> Cinderella, right? Um, so that's a bit of my vision about it. Like it's there, they exist. How do we break them down so we can be independent? We can, you know, be fierce uh, and just actually be happy and do the fuck we want to do. Absolutely. And, and I'm really excited to see that um, media is starting to take role models from all diversity and create superheroes. Because historically, it was the Cinderella for women or for girls, I should say. And there were superheroes for boys. It took a while before Wonder Woman came out. And then now when you look at it, there's um, just, you have women, black women, brown women, you have all diversity being represented. And I think we're moving in the right direction. I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be, but definitely I think that that's going to be a different um, 
social conditioning for the younger generation coming up because it is quite insidious when when i think about children who are say between zero and six years old i mean they're very impressionable they're like little sponges and these stories that are told are um are done as fun but it actually i think has has deeper impacts as i think all messages that we get from society whether we're worthy whether we're good um, can really play havoc as we go out into the world and understand who we are and, and have those healthy conversations so that we go after what are, what are our dreams. So, so you've got a dream. You're creating this kick-ass sisterhood. Yes. Tell me more about that. Let's, let's go into that. Yes. And actually, I want to start, start about how it all came about. I'd love to hear. <laughs> It all started, so I left my previous company, actually, and I, w I decided that I was going to go first do a surf and yoga retreat, which I did. And then I decided, okay, now I need to think about who am I? You know, I've worked for eight years nonstop, and I thought I need to reconnect uh, with what is it that I'm inspired about. And I did this book called um, What's the Color of Your Parachute, which is a corporate oh. book. Right. Okay. I know the one. <laughs> yes. Yes. I did it. And it was lengthy and not fun. But there's an area of that flower, which it's a flower exercise where you define your, your characteristic uh, based on different um, criteria, what, what, the type of environment you like, the skills and so on. But also the, the heart is what, what's your purpose. And you go through a lot of exercises and you think about the purpose. And the purpose for me was to help women grow and break the barriers of racism and help them achieve their dreams. And I took did so much exercise to come to that. And that started resonating with me. And it's like, how can I actually do anything towards that goal? Because it's such a big goal. <laughs> um, and then I heard about starting their own podcast and starting about it could be a step forward to deliver on that purpose and this is where i connected the dot and i thought this would be perfect to actually have a platform of those amazing professional black women to come in to share all their stories their journey, their background, the, the things that they've been struggling with, all the roadblocks and, and share it with people that could be inspired by them, that could hear that voice. And it's just this platform where there's so many voices out there, but are they all gathered in one place? Mm. Right? It's like back to your question, could, did you have this one person you could relate to in your office? And I said, no. But then when you start looking, you could find some but often you don't. And it's having them in one place. You take what you want from it, right? But it's just, oh, I can see this woman, she's done X or Y. I keep it to the back of my head. Maybe I will do that, or maybe I'll do something totally different, but because she's done that, it gives me the power and the strength to think that I can achieve it because it's all about belief, right? So this is how it all started. I love that because there are these people out there and in a given environment, in a given box, whether it's corporate or whatnot, you may not find it, but the yes. world is huge and there are so many examples. So what I see you doing is actually 
bringing, concentrating through your podcast, all these amazing black professional women across the world in a location where other black women and other women can access them, which I, which I, I absolutely love. I love what you're doing. So when, when you're forming the sisterhood, so we ta- you, you shared about how you're going to bring these women on and they can share. But when I think of a sisterhood, I think of relationships, mm-hmm. um, real-time live relationships. So do you have a vision going from a podcast to a sisterhood where it's a community of, of, of two-way interactions? Um. I haven't really thought it through in precisely about that. When I think about, for me, the sisterhood so far is the platform and is where people are connecting. But if I think about the future and one thing that I'm always very, I always think about business ideas in that, in that space is about the social link, you know, the fact that today it's really hard to make those connections with people. And I could work in the future at making them both that idea that how do you connect with all the, because the podcast is great, but it's, uh, it's through media, right? You're not meeting anyone in flesh. You're not connecting and creating that relationship. And that's one thing that I, I think today was so lonely. People are just lonely, although they're so active in their media and Insta and all their stuff. But when at the end of the day, you're just lonely. And that's something that I'd love to, to change. Um, so I, I need to think harder on how I can mix both concepts and make those women connect and create real relationship and kill that lonely space yeah um there's there's lots of ways to do it i have no doubt that you're going to seed sisterhoods across the world Mm. where you have strong black women not the myth but real strong black women and all who they are who are going to be role models and even in their local community um through your leadership and example, be able to form relationships with people locally. And I can see them all coming to London and coming together in an amazing festival of celebration where everybody is going to feel so valued and belonging and and throw away any imposter syndrome. Right, we all have a place in this world, and it's. I I fundamentally believe that our purpose in this world is one, to to be you. To to be all that you are in all your glory, and to have um, meaningful relationships with one another. And when we have a sense of belonging within a community then we can go outside to other communities as well and come with come as we are and have relationships with all people because it really is in that diversity of bringing different people from different backgrounds different thoughts that we can actually become just go to another level as mankind as humans 
right? Because it's at the end of the day, it's human centered, right? We're all humans. We all have our, our, the voices in our head and we all have, um, we all have places where we feel confident and we all have places where we feel the exact opposite. And when we, when we can get real with one another and accept everybody for who we all are in all our quirks and quarks and our colors and vibrancy, that's when this world is going to become a beautiful place. And I know it sounds uh, cliche maybe, but I truly honestly believe that with all my heart. So when I, when you describe what you're doing and I sit back and I close my eyes, that's what I see. I see majesty. (laughs) I see majesty. I see glory. I see, I see a, a world that is moving in the right direction, which is definitely where we need to go. I want to ask you something. So as a, as a white professional woman, when I'm going about my world, when you say that you don't feel you belong because there aren't people who you can identify with that look like you, um, how, how do we change that? What does that look like? Um, what can we be doing to enable everybody to feel belong in environments in which we find ourselves? You mean in the workplace? In the workplace, anywhere. Like if you want to segment it to workplace, that's fine because I want to get practical here. I want to get specific um, so that anyone listening to this can understand the perspective and do something about it. Understand your perspective and, and take action to do something, behavior. Yes. And I think it's a very difficult question. Um, I think it's a deeper it's a deeper issue to be honest than having a practical answer, right? It comes from history and it comes from breaking the social barriers. The dream is that you'd have more people that succeed in a corporate world. If I'm taking the the corporate world example, and it's helping it's helping the diversity <laughs> in that world. That's what I think. Now, there's a lot of things happening that are quite practical, right? Through mentorships, okay? Going through those schools, because it starts so young, right? Going through those schools and trying to show that, because it, <laughs> I guess it's a two-side thing. On one side, you have companies that probably don't hire enough diverse candidates, right? And that's something that needs to be remediated. And I think that's quite practical, right? Just recruit more people from a bigger diversity landscape. But then you also have on the other side is when you're young and your vision is very narrow, you don't know what are the possibilities out there. And therefore, you're never going to go and actually chase them. Because also, unfortunately, often, the people around you don't know about them either. Mm -hmm. And it it being at home, it being your circle of friends and the school doesn't necessarily show that as well. So you really limit your possibilities to actually progress or, or do something, do something else. So I think going there, going in those schools, tackling it early. And I know there's a lot also going on on that front where you go in and you show the women, the men, everyone's equal in there, but show them, okay, yeah, this guy has done it, this girl has done it, here are the amount of jobs you could do, 
you know, if you were interested in this, this is also a way you can achieve it. And it's not only corporate, because I think sometimes we think the only way to succeed is corporate. It's not. Um, but also if you want to be an artist, if you want to do painting, if you want to do music, this is how you could work to make it successful. And mentoring the kid, teaching, that's the way for me that's, we will change this dynamic. Um, yeah. And then practic more practical example, you know, I don't think that, I, I can't think of any other than those because it's about tackling the problem at the top and tackling the problem at the bottom. And people in the middle, we have to do our work. We have to be considerate, open-minded and helping each other. So. Yeah. I mean, one of the principles that I grew up with is when you're in a, in a group, to look out for the person who feels like they don't belong and reach out to them and, and form a relationship. Definitely. You know, it's the best way human and human relationships where over time you, you find moments to connect, right? You find ways to, um, to be in relationship with one another. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's the, the answer to everything, isn't it? Relationship. That's just the way. I, 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 yeah, I believe that it's, as I said, the relationship with ourself and the relationship with one another. That, that's, I believe, our purpose. And, and um, the richer we can be in that, um, the richer are our lives. So I'm just, where can people find you? Because I know that there are women who are listening to this and men white and black, who are going to be wanting to follow you? Where can we find you? Where can we follow you? <laughs> so you can find me on um, Anchor, the Anchor podcast, on Spotify, under the Kika Sisterhood. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so there's a few episodes out there, but there'll be more coming in. And if you have any ideas, want to have a discussion, don't hesitate to just reach out. Um, also on Instagram, obviously under the Kika Sisterhood too. Brilliant. I'm going to be following you because I I support you. I acknowledge what you're doing. I think it, it is beautiful and incredible by being able to go out into this world and to curate all these amazing Black professional women and bring them around a conversation. You are going to be transforming the lives of so many people. Um, including my own. And I, I thank you for that. So folks, you are going to be able to see those links in the show notes down below. And as we wrap up, I just have one crazy question that's going to come out of left field for you. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> On your LinkedIn page, you have a blue orange. What's with that? So I saw that image. So for people listening, it's uh, on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, the background is this blue um, and there's this, it's a, it's a blue and then there's uh, a round and that's sliced and inside you can see an orange. And I, and I love this idea because I just thought, you know, it's a bit, don't, I, I'm not sure I will say the expression right in English, but don't judge the, a book by its cover, right? It's, uh, it's what you see is not necessarily what you're going to get. And that's kind of for me just to show and to tell people to be a bit curious. 
I, I love it. it. It struck me. And I had, that's what, I, that's what came to mind. Um, don't judge a book by a color, cover when you see it. And it goes back to the notion that when we're interacting in life and we see other human beings, every, I, I believe that every human being um, is a child of God. And I believe that they are put here for a purpose with all the things, all their quirks and quarks, as I always say, and get to know them, right? Peel back that orange and discover the beauty that's in there. There's going to be some stuff that maybe rubs you the wrong way. That's, that's how we're supposed to be, right? Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, blue oranges. <laughs> I was not expecting that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. So you've heard where you can follow Tanya with the kick-ass sisterhood. And so sisters out there listening, join in. This is going to be an amazing journey. I have no doubt that everybody is going to become more powerful and more beautiful and be able to do their part in this world to transform where we need to go. Tanya, thank you so much for being part of Build Up One Another. I am, as I said, I'm so honored and I just acknowledge what you're doing and um, power all to you. Karen, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you.